Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Finally, God, these headphones have been driving me crazy. Okay. <laughs> They've only been coming in through one ear. Well, you, you're very lucky. A lot of people don't know what drives them crazy. And so they have to go pay a lot of money to a therapist to figure it out. If only, if only it were that easy <laughs> that, that, that it was the headphones. <laughs> um, so, um, we're recording this mm-hmm. on a very historic day. We are. This is true. It is the first female vice president biracial being inaugurated in the history of our land. Yep. What's interesting, Bill, is that two weeks ago when we were recording, what was also what was unfolding as we were recording was also a historic day, January 6th. And we didn't know. We that didn't know. Yeah. yeah. And so there's also this kind of like a little bit of anxiety that's following me into this day. This this is another historic day. So I, I want to say something without intending to be partisan at all. But I saw some interviews with Barack Obama mm-hmm. uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. He was on David Letterman's program called My Next guest have you ever seen that um i have seen it maybe once i i don't regularly watch it yes it's it's very good i like it a a lot i've heard that and Mm -hmm. um i also saw barack obama interviewed by stephen colbert on two different occasions and um i think trevor noah also interviewed him in one of those interviews Barack Obama said something that just went to my heart and I thought, oh, we have this to look forward to. Obama said, one of the good things that I can say about my presidency, (laughs) that there were days, you went days when you did not even think about me. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we have just ended four years of a constant storm around our former President Trump. So I'll be glad to get rid of that. Yeah. um, I mean, it's so akin to you were really spot on when you were talking about narcissistic symbiosis Mm -hmm. um, the other day, you know, and maybe maybe you can tease that out a little bit right now even, but the way that I understood it is that some injured place in us, a developmentally injured place in us identifies with the magnanimous leader because it fulfills um, some place that was wounded. And And it it, it gives people a sense of security and Mm -hmm. certainty. Mm -hmm. And that's what people are looking for. So it it really got me thinking this week, you know, after, after we talked on Sunday, um, I have a weekly call with two of my closest friends in the world who are college friends and we live in different cities. And we were talking about that being another version of fundamentalism, right? Like fundamentalism is not just religious fervor. 
it's 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 the need for certainty in any category of thinking. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to spring this on you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I know we said last Sunday that we might continue talking about that particular passage, but mm -hmm. I want to move on to the one that's next or uh, in the teaching. Jesus is saying, don't make a show out of your religion. Mm, perfect. <laughs> Uh, because some of the images that we have seen coming out of January the 6th are just so disturbing. Yeah. You know, one huge flag sign t-shirt that people were wearing said, Jesus is my Lord and Trump is my president. Oof. A melding of religion and politics in a very disturbing way. And right. one of our Ordinary Life class members, Wayne Herbert, who sends me such consistently good stuff, <laughs> a lot of cartoons, a lot of jokes, um, a lot of good stuff. But Wayne sent me yesterday a painting that is this authentic. This is real. I'm not making this up. I had to check this out. There is a painting that an artist has for sale for $75,000, or maybe it's $75. No, I think it's 70, it's a lot of money. That has the typical crucifixion scene, but it's Trump on the cross, Melania is Mary, and Nancy Pelosi is sticking the spear in his side. And you can buy this painting for your home. I have no words. So let me read to you a quote that I found going through some stuff and trying to prepare for this coming Sunday. <laughs> you, you, you know the, the incredible influence that Carl Jung has had on me. Oh, yes. And, yeah. And, and um, I've gotten lately in, and I referred to this Sunday in, in a talk, I've gotten interested in um, what is a living religion? Mm -hmm. So Jesus in this passage in Matthew that we're looking at for this coming Sunday is critical of religious leaders for showing off their religiosity. But I, I found this quote by you, and I want to read it to you. He wrote this in 1912. Now, this is leading up to World War One. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. World War I uh, and immediately after this, this is the context in which fundamentalism came alive in the United States. Uh -huh. And the big battle and, and that started and was culminated around 1919, around the time of that war, was one of its leading spokespeople was also someone who's influenced me a lot, and that was Harry Emerson Fosdick. Mm -hmm. uh, Fosdick was a big leader in anti-fundamentalism. But this is what Carl Jung wrote in 1912. Should it happen that all traditions in the world were caught off with a single blow, the whole mythology and history of religion would start over again with the next generation. Hmm. So yeah. if you were inventing a religion from scratch, Knowing what we know now from evolutionary cosmology, 
Hmm. What would it look like? Well, you just said a little part of it. It would look like um, a common origin story mm -hmm. um, to me. And that our great prophets are part of that common origin story. And um, as opposed to, I'm not arguing for like a monolithic religion because I think culture, there's differentiation in culture and there's right. beauty in that. Right. There's beauty in the different rituals that we have. But I would almost want to see the prophets as like um, the sons and daughters of, of a common origin story as opposed to each one containing a separate origin story. Yeah, I, I'm, I think that it would have a common origin story. Now, I also think that it would um, look a lot like what um, our people from South America and the black theologians have been telling us for a number of years. It would look a lot about liberation theology. Absolutely. So, you know, I just, I love that question of what could a new tradition look like? Um, inevitably, if we're, you know, if, if, if one generation bleeds into the next, we carry some of that with us. So that to create something totally new, we'd have to have some kind of cultural amnesia. <laughs> well, a, a, a phrase that uh, was unique to you, was that he referred to it as living religion mm -hmm. and um I, I i just think it's it's great with the notion particularly in light of the fact that religion can get hijacked in a second yeah by a social or political agenda uh as it has in this country right i think i told you that um i've, I've been reading a book called The Philosophy of Liberation by Enrique Dussel. He's a South American writer and philosopher. Um, I think he's still alive. This book was written in the 80s. Um, you know, he, he has this idea of the center and, and the center can be, so for example, the United States in the context of the world is a center. And there are many countries that are in the periphery. Uh, and those are, you might say like concentric circles so that a country that has um, that is incredibly disenfranchised, incredibly poor, maybe on the widest edges of that center or of that periphery. But even, uh, and then each culture within a country has its own center and its own periphery. And of course, the message of liberation is always, we've got to go to the farthest edges of the periphery to find out what works. And he, he talks about how so often we idealize the periphery. We call them people with dignity and patience and strength. When in fact, um, we should be, and that idealization keeps, keeps us separate from them, the center separate from the, from the periphery. And so to really experience the periphery is to know suffering and then to know how to rebuild systems from the perspective of the, those who have suffered. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's absolutely got to be based in liberation, not in, not in ideals of the empire. And I mean, he walks through every single great thinker in the last 2000 millennia um, have, have, have come from the center. Mm -hmm. 
you know, Socrates, Plato, all, all and mostly male, you know, mostly male philosophers too have come from the center, from the institution, as opposed to from the edge. If you want to call Jesus a philosopher, he came, he was born into the central religion, but he went to the edges and, and, and tried to push that religion out to the edges, you know? I'm, I'm thinking um, that this um, living religion would also have as one of its hallmarks being nonviolent. Mm -hmm. Because that, that we're in the grips also of this archetype of redemptive violence. And yeah. uh, again, as more and more images are coming out of the January 6th insurrection, and I look at the faces of these people, I see how angry they are. I mean, they're just enraged. And I thought about what Thich Nhat Hanh said he would do in dealing with the people who were behind the 9-11 attack. That is, his first question after a long period of collective silence would be, uh, why are you so angry with us? And I think to get back to your point, the people in the center, the people who have made the rules and had the power have got to ask that question to people who were in that insurrection movement. What are you so angry about? And take their take what very seriously because if we don't, they're just going to be more of the same. Right. You know, and at the same time, there. Yes, I mean that is the. That would be the ideal, thoughtful, non-reactive way of handling really almost anything. So what do we do when who we might perceive as um, what we talked about last week, the enemy, those who are against us, aren't willing to be in that space. And you know, one of the things that touched me in reading about the um, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which I'm still reading Tutu's book, is, um, is the willingness to participate. And I, I do think there is something that people really get attached to, and that is narrative. It's our personal story. I heard someone say yesterday, we're all a walking museum. We have histories and we have stories that make up our being. And, and people, we do get gripped by our stories. And I just wonder if in offering a space where narrative is part of the healing, would, would more people than we imagine participate? I don't have- What I do we do if they don't? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what do we do if, if we can't get people to the table? So one of the questions somebody asked me since January the 6th, and knowing that the people who were involved in that honestly did believe that the election had been stolen and they believe a lot of other weird stuff too. Mm -hmm. And so a question that I have been asked a couple of times is what has to happen for people to believe this stuff? Right. And the answers to that are not hard to find. Yeah. I mean, um, 
if somebody is at a very low level of educational development, they're going to be gullible for all sorts of naive stories. Mm-hmm. So that gets back again to my core, one of the core principles, I think, of, of my and our teaching is a commitment to growth in every area, intellectually, spiritually, psychologically, socially. We, we have to be committed to growth. Yeah. So people believe weird things if they're developmentally low. We have we live in a culture where Bill Plotkin says that 80% of the adult population of the United States is arrested at late adolescent development. Yeah. That's staggering. Yeah, it is. It's staggering and it and you know you've talked for so many years about this need for mature adult faith. Um, to see things with a lack of certainty, to be w- being willing to accept this sort of, to, to, to be certain in ourself without needing certainty around us in a sense, right? That change is the only constant. And I, I just am, I, uh, I'm so interested in what drives people to need to grip, be in the grips of certainty and and how that is really, that certainty is almost the religion rather than what the tenets or the, or the rituals or the beliefs of the religion are. It's, it's just being certain it's, and, and there speaks to me just a really strong human need for safety and security. So the, the question I would ask is, well, what has happened in our culture um, that has made so many feel unsafe and insecure? To be able to sit with the gray area, to be able to sit in the in-between. I don't know. I mean, I have some ideas. But... Well, I, th- I think that, to repeat myself, I think one of the core things is that people are fundamentally immature. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they also do two other things. They believe a falsehood mm-hmm. and they reject the truth. Those yeah. are different things, but we, we have, um, again, not to be partisan, but we, ha- we have just ushered out, or we are right at the moment we're recording this, a president who set a record for one lie after another that people began to believe right right it goes to show i mean i just as you keep saying like that the level in which people are receiving information is not a level of analysis it's a level of just belief it's it's you know so many people read um read read books and read the paper without any level of analysis just believing what's coming at them Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's a failure on so many levels, Bill. It's also a failure of our education system. Mm-hmm. You know, that that there's been so much attention to sort of like being able to pass certain standards um, and then pass on to the next grade level without really ever getting any sense of like, who is this kid? Who inhabits this body? Mm-hmm. Who am I in this world? Without any level of analysis, I, I'm not saying all schools are doing that or even all teachers, but our education system on the whole 
still has a very, um, what I would call industrial mindset, um, it, 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 as opposed to a sort of analytical, creative, and generative mindset. And I think that that's problematic for kids, you know? And, and the, the, um, the religion that most people have been exposed to in the United States, uh, this white American male folk religion, uh, it teaches certainty. You believe this, you'll mm -hmm. be safe. You believe this, you'll go to mm -hmm. heaven when you die, um, which is also plants the seed that you don't have to take any responsibility for being right. here because the best world is yet to come. And this biggest is biggest misinterpretation of Jesus's teaching that, that I can think absolutely. of. Absolutely. Right? And, yeah. and I think this is one of the reasons that um, I personally gravitated, first of all, to psychology to understand some of this stuff, and then mm -hmm. uh, to Buddhism, because Buddhism uh, has, has as one of its core teachings, nothing lasts. You can't hang on yeah. to anything. And, right. and the people that I encountered in the Buddhist circle were among the happiest people I had met up to that point. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, when, I, when I'm seeing somebody for counseling and it's kind of new in the game, um, I don't talk about this spiritual stuff. But when the time is right, I bring up my favorite Carl Jung quote about the value of a living religion. And, and I can sense people going, nope, nope. There's a pushback against that because they've been wounded by the religion of our culture, that white American male folk religion. And so I recommend books by Thich Nhat Hanh and Pima Chodron. Pima Chodron mm -hmm. has two books that I think are, are, are really essential for people to read. By the way, I want to come back to that in a minute. They are The Places That Scare You mm. and When Things Fall Apart. They yeah. are wonderful books. Have you read them? Yeah. I've read When Things Fall Apart, but not The Places okay. That Scare You. This reminds yeah. me when I said, I want to come back to this. We need to update the book list on the website. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> at least add to it. Right. Yeah. We've mentioned at least, gosh, I'm just thinking, um, we read a lot. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I know I'm in the throes of reading more sort of academic material than I ever have in my entire life, but at the same time, um, yeah, we read a lot. I don't know. Are, I don't know where I got this statistic. Um, uh -huh. I go back and look look for it. I may even quote it again on, on Sunday. 80% um, of Americans, 80% of Americans never read a book after graduating from high school. You've said that before. I don't know where that's from either, but it, it doesn't totally surprise me. Yeah. Um, I, I, think, I think we forget sometimes that we are kind of in, um, gosh, I don't wanna say this with arrogance. I wanna say it with humility we are in an elite category mm -hmm. of, of, of high education. Um, gosh, I don't know how to make that not sound arrogant. Well, all, all I can say is that I, there aren't that many, the, the, the large majority of the world doesn't even have access right. to, to, to buying books, to convenient libraries, to downloading audiobooks, you know. <laughs> so, the, so. The, the way I think about this is <clears throat> we belong to a cognitive minority. 
Mm. And um, that's not to put an evaluation on it. It's just, it's just true. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it feels like the wrong, the most wrong thing in, in a quote unquote liberal democracy. And by liberal, I just mean um, freedom-based democracy um, to have education be elite. You know, I, I have taught in schools with um, very poor students and many of them left college because of the inability to afford it. And, and, and it's not, they don't leave because they can't do it. They don't leave because they're not smart enough. They leave because it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. and, and some leave because it's really scary being, especially for immigrant families, really scary being so far away from home um, when you've been sort of held in this community for a long time. But um, the biggest hindrance to achieving a higher education is money. It just shouldn't be that way. Mm -hmm. Well, we live in a culture that doesn't value public education. Yeah. Our, yeah. And, and um, <clears throat> I don't know what that's about. I don't know what the belief is about um, shortchanging our public education teachers and not providing the very best. I think that if we really care about the long-term well-being of this society, teachers should be paid as much as doctors. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the reasons I left teaching. I kind of did this analysis of like, oh, I'll either be putting my almost my entire salary into daycare, or I can have a couple part-time gigs to make up what I wouldn't be putting into daycare and stay home with my kids, you know? And, and it was, a little bit more of a logical choice than it was a, a heart choice because I mean I really wanted to stay home with my kids but I also really loved teaching I really loved teaching and I was good at it mm -hmm. I loved the connections I made with kids I loved inspiring kids I loved being inspired by them um but yeah it, it, it's not at some point you just kind of go <laughs> maybe I'm not making enough to make this worth it when I was working sometimes 18 hour days mm -hmm. and you know, we worked sometimes as hard as a doctor mm -hmm. on call, yeah. you know, but anyway, it's, 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 it's definitely an imbalanced, um, imbalanced morality. I think you, you mentioned earlier that painting that, uh, Wayne sent you, um, I did a quick search. I found it. So maybe I'll, how much is it? Know, maybe that's 7,500. Um, and I, I was thinking how you said, you know, that's such a, that is where um, we've made religion and politics too integrated. Mm -hmm. And we've, that also means that we've misinterpreted religion, right? Because what it, what it should be is that religion in my mind should be kind of like our moral compass. And, and so what, what's missing from that equation of religion and politics being so intertwined, intertwined is the morality. Why is morality why not intertwined um, with politics? And, and where I relate that to education is kind of, I, I think education is not sort of grappling with these morality issues with kids and, and kids are quite capable of it, you know? So yeah. Where we started when we found our footing Go ahead. <laughs> uh, going into the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, 
what what I call, and I think this is original with me, the the evolution of right religion, um, and and the first actual age. And you know, you mentioned uh, last Sunday um, Desmond Tutu, and um, Desmond Tutu. I've mentioned this book before too. Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama spent a period of time together and their conversations were recorded and and they concluded that the solution to the world's problem was education yeah and that the education that people needed to receive was the value of the human being mm. and 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 having it ingrained into people you do not treat someone as you yourself would not want to be treated. Right. Yeah, it should be the fundamental. That would be rule number one of our new religion. Common origin story, rule number one. And maybe the only rule, do not treat people. That's why it's called the golden rule, mm -hmm. right? Treat others as you would like to be treated. You know, the rest is just mythology. <laughs> I just, I, you know, I mean, I think we need stories and myths to connect us to our culture and, and, and sense of place. Mm -hmm. And um, what's the common ethic undergirding those stories? And if the common ethic of all of our rituals and traditions where we treat others as we would like to be treated. And let me tell you another story about that, <laughs> you know? Well, it's a... Uh, so uh, we have a common origin story, the mm -hmm. importance mm -hmm. of the golden rule, and stories to communicate this, because yes. stories are very powerful, and then rituals. There are things that happen in the human community that um, when uh, celebrated in a ritual way marks meaningful events, birth, death, unions, uh, significant mm -hmm. events to the community, yeah. uh, and sharing meals together. It is really hard to be pissed off at somebody if you're sitting across the table with them <laughs> and they got ketchup running down their chin. Yeah. You know, it's, it yeah. humanizes the That's true. Person. I mean, I think that's, that's why breaking bread is such a, such a part of so many religious traditions. Um, I, I did have during this pandemic, probably more than one meltdown, but I did, I early on, maybe in the early summer, I, I had a kind of quiet meltdown. I was just mad at everybody. And I sat down at dinner and I ate my dinner really quickly. Then I got up and I left the table and I just went in the pool just to like float in the water. But um, <laughs> so that's one meal that I successfully stayed angry at the whole family. <laughs> But we made up after. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's I have another confession, actually, as we're sitting here on this historic day, I have on silent um, on the screen over here next to me, the inauguration. It's going on right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's soon will be noon in Washington. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Big, big yeah. I, I, I have to say, like, I, I and, uh, you know, I'm sure that we betray our politics a lot of times, but I have a profound sense of relief and a profound also sense of um, it is dangerous to put all of our hope in any one person or system. That's fundamentalism, I think. But um, 
but I have a, a profound sense of hope that we can write ourselves. Okay, Kamala Harris is being sworn in right now. Okay. Let's just let's mark this moment with a pause. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. And God forbid that something should ever happen to President Biden. Mm -hmm. But I think she will make an excellent president should that need arise. Yeah, she'll make an excellent vice president yep. too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. How cool. <laughs> We're in a new era of America. And you're right. <sighs> you know, there's kind of a double-edged sword here about one person thinking that one person's going to fix things, save things. Of mm -hmm. course, you're right. One person can't do that. But we do know the power charismatic leader and is somebody who can exude a sense of authority and calmness and stability that's a good thing yeah yeah we would you know charisma doesn't necessarily always mean ethical as we just saw right um so i think that the you know just having a, a strong undergirding of ethics is so important I, I'll, I'll say one thing and then it, it, we'll we can kind of wrap up from here but um We are in a in a renewed era. We get a chance to restart mm -hmm. today. And I want to say that that's as hopeful and beautiful and promising as that is. We also can't leave our past entirely behind. We've got to deal with, you know, what it's what Tutu said. We have to look the beast in the eyes. So this kind of ability to move forward with hope and a renewal and still not bypass how our entire past has affected this moment. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in high school, I was not a very good student of history. And I asked mm -hmm. complaining, why do we have to study history and I was told so that we can learn from our past and mm -hmm. yet it seemed to me that that's one thing that we've not been very good at yeah learning from our past because we keep making Absolutely. the same mistakes we keep saying we, the words that's, that's in the past that's it that's in the past without transforming it <laughs> yeah, we, we we both of us said last Sunday that we know how we got here we know what needs to happen to fix it. The mm -hmm. issue is, do we have the, the will, the common will to do it and not let selfish self-interest dominate, which is what's happened. Yeah. So the people at the top, the pyramid gets bigger and the people at the bottom, they get squashed more. Yeah, I know. I mean, I don't even know if the pyramid at the top gets bigger. I think it just gets more powerful. Mm -hmm. So we're going to continue this conversation Sunday. We sure will. <laughs> Talk about um, um, a living religion. Yeah. So even though this won't apply when people listen to this, why don't you go finish watching the operation and I'll see you Sunday. Yeah, check it in. Check in too. Okay. It's a good moment. All right. Bye -bye. Talk to you soon, Bill. Bye.